Welcome back, my beloved friends and family and strangers from all over the world. Uh, I recently looked at a geographical map of all the people that are listening to this, and I was surprised to find uh, New Zealand, (laughs) Australia, all over Europe, all over Great Britain, and all over the U.S., but... I was just amazed at this technology and the opportunity I have to have so many of you as a listener. So thank you. However, today's episode is a day late because I wanted to sit on it for just a little bit. The topic and and the things that I wanted to say. Because at least here in America, we recently had uh, a tragedy one of the largest mass shootings in uh, modern history. It is not the largest mass shooting, if you also consider some of the things that were done to Native Americans in the past. But at least in the past 50 years, this was the largest. And it happened in Las Vegas. I wanted to sit on this because I wanted to make sure that I worded things well, and I wanted to say something helpful and hopeful. So if you are in for the ride, please go ahead and listen. There are no parables today. There are no uh, clever quips, but I do want to give a thoughtful reflection and then finish with a poem. So if you don't have the, the tenacity or the, the desire to listen to all of this, go ahead and fast forward to the end because there's going to be a poem that I think is just incredible. So first off, we need to show solidarity to the people of Las Vegas and all of those who are grieving and those who are hurting and those who are still recovering. I found out in the past 36 hours that someone I know and worked with in the past was out there in Vegas when it happened. I still haven't heard where they were when it all happened, but they were right there. And fortunately, they are safe. However, I also know of someone who knows someone who lost their father there. I'm two degrees removed from someone who lost a parent at that shooting. I, I, I was shocked. I'm still processing that, still grieving it, still trying to make my way through some of this and, and what needs to happen next. And I think that for right now, this is in with this is within my sphere of influence. This is the opportunity, this is the means by which I can try to influence for the better. So I've I've already had some conversations with people who asked about this mass shooting in which hundreds were hurt and I want to say it was close to 60 people passed away at the hands of somebody who smuggled guns into a hotel across the street. Uh, I've already heard the the argument of, is it gun control or is it a mental health issue? 
and it's both and more. Let me say it again. It's both and more. And uh, what I would like to do over the next short while is try to give some things that I think we need to keep in mind in the midst of this conversation. And then again, finish with a poem uh, that you'll see. I think you'll see why it's important. So in the midst of all of this, I was drawn to reread some pieces from a World War II pastor named uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German pastor during the time of World War II, and he died at the hands of the Nazis. Um, And his magnum opus, which is called Ethics, is in reality unfinished. When he was picked up by the Nazis, he quickly took all of his pages and notes and things and then buried them in the backyard. And someone else later on found them, dug them up, and now we have this publication. But it's still the unfinished piece. And it's called Ethics because Bonhoeffer was very much interested in what are we supposed to do in the world and he said that the, the start of ethics is when you have the experience of the ought. That when you or I have a moment where we stop and we have to say, there's something within me or above me or there's something calling and beckoning me just to, it's this nagging or sometimes a quiet little whisper, a, a, a gut instinct, a feeling within that just says, this ought to be different. And whether you are religious or not, I'm fairly certain everyone has that feeling at some point. The experience of the ought. This ought not to happen. Now, there's two things that happens. One is (laughs) when we have a moment of ought, that also subtly means that we know a different world is possible. It might be an uphill battle, but a different world is possible if you even have that moment where you say, this ought not happen. But the second thing is, And this is the terrifying thing, perhaps, is that we are all capable of ignoring or silencing, repressing or denying that experience of ought. And that's where the the rubber hits the road. That's where every one of us need to stop and ask ourselves, do we have the grit, the determination, the tenacity, the energy, the drive, the courage to try to make the world that ought to be into the world that we have. And so in the midst of some of this, it's fascinating because I see people from all over the political spectrum blaming the other party 
and I see a lot of people um, in denial. Now, fortunately, <laughs> I have a, a voracious curiosity to learn as an Enneagram 5. So recently, I've been reading on defense mechanisms. And there's one that's called denial. And denial is when you or I or someone we know shoves or silences or puts away oh man an unacceptable fact that gives them pain or discomfort if they were to accept it finally and i think it's very true that there's a large pocket of american citizens that when they see the gun debates they very much just want to deny the fact that there's a problem because it's an unacceptable fact that if they have to finally accept it, they know it will bring them pain or discomfort to finally accept that fact. Shootings where hundreds of people are shot in a first world country doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. I think we also need to stop denying the fact that American culture is fixated on violence. We have music and TV and commercials and cinema and books and everything that in, in many ways is a cult to violence. And it is an unacceptable fact that many of us are trying to deny, are trying to repress, because to finally admit the fact that in America we worship violence, oh, that brings an incredible amount of pain and discomfort to finally recognize and to own up to. You see, I see... Um, there's also a failure to think well about this one, this one thing. <laughs> that sentence structure was terrible. But some people have this idea that if you love something, you're not allowed to critique it. Or on the flip side, if you do critique something, you don't really love it. However, nothing could be further from the truth. If you do love something, you will look at it with honest eyes. And then you will critique it because you love it. It's not that when you love something, you turn a blind eye to it. That's just foolishness. That's puppy love. That is the first moment of infatuation between two teenagers when they see each other. But to stop and to say, I need to critique this because I love this is actually a very devout thing to do. And so at least right now in American culture, if you do love this country, why not try giving it an honest look and a very honest critique and purposefully try not to repress or deny facts that you maybe think are unacceptable? In essence, some of us really need to grow up and learn how to confront uncomfortable truths so that out of 
love of neighbor, we can try to improve the world around us. Like personally, as somebody who <laughs> identifies as a Christian, and I understand that some of you are not, and that's totally fine for me. Just listen to this next little bit. Because for me, to be a Christian means that the cross will always stand taller than any flagpole, no matter what flag is on it. That to me, the highest principle, my ultimate concern, has to do with whatever Christ represents, whatever Christ means to the world, to me, to the life of faith. But since the cross is taller than any flagpole, it also means that it throws some shade. The Christian faith can't help but critique the world because it loves the world. And we have done a disservice to the Christian faith when we say that the Old Testament prophets, their only job is just to point towards Jesus because that's really dishonest. A lot of the prophets and the figures of the Bible are critiquing the politics of the day. They're critiquing the economics of the day. They're critiquing people's use of farmlands and the environment. Christianity should throw some shade because it actually loves the world. And that's the best interpretation of the faith. It critiques the world because it loves the world and it wants to see it get better. And so in the New Testament, when it talks about the kingdom of heaven, and even further than that, it says that the kingdom of heaven is within you, that, that's a difficult phrase, but let me break it down. It means that your internal compass is always governed by divine command. It's that the kingdom of heaven means that you are trying your best to be in right relationship with all things around you, with the people, with your co-workers, with your family, with your friends, with your car, with <laughs> the plumbing, how you use water, shalom, and to seek the kingdom of heaven here now means that you also are seeking right relationship with guns and violence, with the victims, with those who are hurting, with those who maybe just lost their dad to the shooting in Vegas. What does it mean to live in the world and try to help everyone else relate to things around them with honest eyes? Now, I'm going to finish again with this poem, as I had mentioned before. And that whole little bit I just gave was really inspired by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was an unpopular voice in his day speaking against the Nazi regime. And I'm not trying to draw parallels there, but I am trying to say that at least he stood up and answered 
his personal experience of what he thought ought to be. And maybe the, this world is groaning because many of us have been denying or repressing or silencing that little, that little whisper, that little voice that tells us things ought to be different. I uh, sometimes hear some people critique Christians because they just kind of step back and they say, oh, we just need God to come and fix this. It's like, oh. But maybe you're supposed to be um, a representative for God in these situations. So this goes to say, I just want to finish with a poem. Now, this is from Teresa of Avila, who was a Spanish Catholic mystic. She was around during the time of uh, the Reformation in the 1500s. She was on the Catholic side and she was very much in favor of reforming the church. And I know I've mentioned on her on here before, but man, this poem is one that I've loved so much that I even bought a canvas and I painted the canvas over and then have painted the words of this poem on there so that every morning I wake up and I look at this poem. So hopefully it will strike you as it strikes me. Now, for those of you that do not identify as a Christian or those of you that do, I think both parties, I think both of us, both of us can get behind its call on all of us because in some sense, this poem pulls out what Bonhoeffer is talking about in reference to the experience of the ought. So I'm not going to give a send-off at the end. Instead, I'm going to encourage you to just listen to the poem and then leave yourself open to experience the ought. Leave yourself open and ready to have a little nagging voice come at you and whisper to you, you ought to be doing some of these things. And I don't read this poem in order to make anyone guilty. I'm not trying to shame anyone into activity. I'm not trying to say um, that you need to feel bad. But I am saying in American culture, we do a very good job of insulating ourselves away from the responsibility of loving our neighbor well. So this poem is called Christ Has No Body. Sit back, listen in your car ride, reflect on this, open up yourself to have a experience of the ought as you listen. And I'm going to say I'm going to sign off now because I'm going to let the last line of the poem be the last thing that's said in this episode. So this is Christ Has No Body from Teresa of Avila. <clears throat> Christ has no body but yours. No hand, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with 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 which he looks compassion on this world. <clears throat> <clears throat> 
Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours.